Okay, um, today is the 29th of May, 2012, and um, I've been asked to do an interview on the internet radio, which is going to be, <coughs> excuse me, um, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, uh, that is the 6th of June. And we'll be sending out uh, information how to access that uh, site. If you're interested and want to see it, or here, I, I guess it's audio. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether, you know, these days you can get video as well, but I think this is going to be audio. Anyhow, <coughs> I will give you more information uh, next Thursday, and there'll be uh, information going out over the web, over the internet, if you're interested. So. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of uh, silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We pray that you will help us realize every moment of every day that this life is not about us. Not about seeing how much fun we can have, how happy we can be. It's about being good and faithful servants to you. We pray that you will help us not to be distracted, that you will help us to keep our purpose, our focus, and that you will even this very night enlighten us as we study your word, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to continue on with getting the gospel right. This is going to be lesson number 62, the way I understand it here. We've been dealing with the issue of believers craving the experiential and how that flows over into the gospel when it gets into, um, I guess you could say, altar calls. I'm not aware of any altar calls in the Bible, and I'm not on a vendetta to do away with altar calls. It's really not the issue. Each local church establishes their own mode and method of worship. And I don't think it's right for one church to criticize another one on these. Each pastor is responsible to the Lord. The deacons are responsible to uh, support the pastor. And it, certainly churches do things different ways. But the issue that I think is at hand is that people today crave the experiential their emotions are the criteria for so many of them with regards to their spiritual life. They, they don't think they're close to God unless they feel close to God. A lot of people don't feel that they have a credible, true conversion, that they're really not saved unless they had some kind of a traumatic experience, some kind of an emotional thing. 
some people who will tell you that they don't believe you have to be baptized in order to be saved will also think that uh, down deep in their soul that this kind of put the seal on it because it's something that we can do. We crave something to do with regards to our own salvation. But God has taken that away from us because it's not us to receive, that receives any credit or any glory. God gets it all, rightfully so, because he's the one that did everything necessary for us to receive eternal life. And so it, it gets confusing and it gets out of bounds and distorted when you have altar calls and you have people who are calling, calling on the unbelievers to come to Christ, to turn their hearts over to Jesus, to invite Christ in their hearts. This is the fuzzy gospel that really has no definition or meaning. It sounds good, but the people that come forward, uh, whether they're saved or not, really don't have that secure that secureness in their soul that they should have based on just what the Word of God says. Everyone is saved the same way. We're saved because we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what saves. Anything else, regardless of how abstruse or nebulous or fuzzy it may be, adds nothing to it. In fact, I think it takes away doesn't take away from the fact of whether someone is saved or not. If they believe in Christ, they are. But it takes away from their confidence. It takes away from their assurance because people tend to make the experience their comfort zone that they're truly saved. And that's what we were addressing uh, last time. We went to a few verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Because some people even think that emotions are involved in growing up spiritually. If you want to turn there, turn to your notes or turn to Scripture, that's fine. I guess I ought to put this up on the board, huh? You can follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Our, referring to Paul and other Bible teachers, mouth has spoken freely to you, teaching you the doctrine. O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. They continue to grow spiritually themselves. That would be the Bible teachers. You're not restrained in the context here from reaching spiritual maturity by us, but, by, uh, but you are restrained in your own splachna, affection. S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-O-N. That's the term that the Greeks use for emotions. It's the bowels or the stomach, innard parts. And so people had a problem with their emotion and it was confining them. It was restricting them. It was debilitating them. They couldn't go further in their spiritual life because the emotions had become the criterion. We have Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, another scripture that we looked at. 
Brethren, join in following my example in advancing towards spiritual maturity. That's what he's talking about there. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us. Other positive believers, growing believers, who are also advancing to spiritual maturity. See, one thing that tells us is people are watching. People are taking note of what we say and what we do and our attitudes. Not only people that are without the church, those who were within as well. For many, referring to believers, walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. These are believers. Whose end is destruction, which be the sin unto death, whose God is their appetite. Here you have the Greek word kolia, another word for emotions. And whose glory would be their human glory is essentially their shame who set up their minds on earthly things. They're distracted by the details of life. I just picked a few here. There are several more that has to do with emotions. One more is Romans 16, 17 through 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances Contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Separate from them. For such men are slaves not to our Lord Christ, but to their own colia, appetites, emotions. By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. I think um, one thing I want to make sure that you don't think that I am alleging in any way that there's something wrong with expressing emotions, because I am not. But they should be expressed in such a way that they are in control. They're responding to what's in your soul. They're not dictating uh, in your soul what's going on, but responding to it. And certainly there have been times in my life, and I hope in yours as well, when there was something in the, in the Scriptures that moved me, there's been times when I've learned things that I was just so inspired. I just you know, was emotional. I wasn't trying to work anything up. It just happened. There's been times when I had gone through the Scriptures and I've seen things. I, I, I saw things that um, I found that I was in error in some way. I've, I embraced a false doctrine in, in the, the someone who was teaching the word straightened it out. One time I was uh, I was a a, a full blown Calvinist, which is a false embracing false doctrine. And the and the pastor who straightened me out had no idea what was going on with me. He went to Revelation chapter twenty and proved through the scriptures that this doctrine that I had embraced was a false doctrine. And I literally got weak in my knees. I could, it, at the end when it was time to stand up, I didn't know whether I could stand up or not. That, that, see, these are legitimate emotional expressions, if you want to call them that. There's been times that I've taught the Word of God from this pulpit, and I've had people come up before, there's been one or two cases I can remember. One woman came up and she, she put her hand on the 
pulpit here. And I reached out and took her hand and kind of held it like this. And she just couldn't talk. And tears were coming down her eyes. And I said, I understand, I understand. And she walked away. There's nothing wrong with that. These are expressions of emotion that are just as natural as breathing. And I'm not trying to say in any way that that trying to say if you have those, try to suppress them. Don't have any emotions. We don't have any emotions here. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, if we never have any emotions, something's wrong with me or something's wrong with you. But we don't feed on these emotions. We don't require these emotions in order to think that, boy, we, something really happened tonight. It's just like icing on a cake. The substance is the cake. Whether it has icing or not, it's going to nourish your body. So I just want to say that because as I clarify these issues with emotions, don't think that I'm on the wrong side or, or that there's something wrong with that. It's just that in so many cases, emotions rule the day. That's all people have. They don't have doctrine. And it's so easy to happen because that's what our flesh craves. When we have a mental attitude sin, if we're angry, we don't need anyone to prod us on to go do something stupid. That's within us. It comes out of us. The craving is go with the emotion. It will make you feel good. But we know better. See, God has put into our minds, into our souls, the doctrine to where we can't express our anger like that. In fact, we have to confess it. What a bummer. Hmm. So I just wanted to say that as we uh, pressed on. After a while, normal emotional stimulation doesn't work. It takes more to get one emotionally aroused. Even it takes extreme measures to stimulate the emotions. And this is where we ended last time on all sorts of insane, ridiculous, absurd methods taken to get one emotionally uh, emotionally st uh, stimulated, uh, you know, cro crowing like a rooster, howling like a dog. Uh, what was one I missed? Uh, well, no, I got the laughter. It was something else that was like a, uh, oh, roaring like a lion. All these things that uh, being stuck to the floor, going into trance, uncontrolled laughing, uncontrolled crying, uh, <coughs> shouting, screaming, supposedly speaking in tongues, snakes, Handling snakes, jumping, dancing, whirling around in circles, all these kind of things. See, what happens is the normal emotional stimulation gets to where it's boring, it's not enough, and you've got to take it to the next level. That is when that's what you're depending on. That's, if you think that's what spirituality is, after a while you have to ratchet, ratchet it up a notch and it gets into the ridiculous. Okay, we haven't plowed this ground yet. This is where we're starting tonight. Lesson 62. People don't want to know God through studying and meditating on the Scriptures. They want to experience God. They want to feel the presence of God. Nowhere do the Scriptures tell us to seek and experience or to feel the presence of God. And yet whole churches are made up around this focus. 
Let's have a big experience for the people so they can, they can feel the presence of God. Exactly what does God's presence feel like, by the way? Have you ever asked anyone? I have. And they stumble and blunder and try to explain it, but it's a, it's a, they have a hard time. Well, one reason is because uh, no one knows because the Bible doesn't tell us. doesn't command it and doesn't tell us. So if someone says that they felt the presence of God, what do they mean? Now again, there are times when we are confident. We're thinking divine viewpoint. We have stability. We have courage. We have what we cannot come up with ourselves. And if you want to call that the presence of God, fine. But that's different from someone who either says they heard God speak to them or they felt the presence of God and all they're talking about is some kind of emotional thing. How could you know the feeling was from God? These people who say this. Maybe it was your imagination or indigestion. Maybe it was something that a demon used to deceive you. God has not commanded us to seek a divine experience and has not described what one feels like. Why depend on it to confirm our salvation? Which is what a lot of people do. Sometimes Christians are asked to give their testimony and often it winds up being a detailed description of a traumatic experience they had. And that's when they became a believer. Some people will indeed have an emotional or traumatic experience, especially of, uh, <clears throat> especially of happiness that they are not going to hell when accepting the gospel. But many do not. The point is, it's not whether one has an experience that's important. It's believing in Christ. That is what matters. And when people are going off on their testimonial and they're talking about all their experience, all of this trauma that happened, and sometimes it does, a lot of times it doesn't, but what gets lost in the shuffle a lot of times is whatever happened to just believing in Christ. That is what's important. Not having an emotional experience. If you have one, fine. But it really doesn't matter, to the, matter that much. It doesn't have really anything to do with your eternal salvation. This is a quote from Gary A. Gilly. This little church went to market is the name of the book. By the way, I should have brought it tonight, but I have about four books I'm going to put in the, diction, in, in the library, and that's one of them if you want to check it out. Uh, Gilly says, quote, We are having a revival of feeling, but not of knowledge of God. The church today is more guided by feelings than conviction. We value enthusiasm more than informed commitment. He hit it on the head, didn't he? Emotions do not establish proof that you are saved or that you are spiritual. Emotions can't be used to measure or determine your spiritual or uh, if, if you're spiritual or how spiritually mature you are. 
They are not a factor in determining how close you are to God or who will inherit rewards and decorations. They do not make one spiritually stronger. They are not required in order to be saved or forgiven by God. That's the short list. I could go on and on what emotions can't do. Believers do have power over their emotions when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You might notice that all fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 uh, includes controlling one's emotions, but the last one deals with it specifically. Here are those fruit of the Spirit. And I hadn't decided I might make this one of our memory verses. <laughs> I heard Fabian say, good. She's teaching that to the children so she knows it already. See, if you teach it, you know it. You better know it. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And all of those means you have to have your emotions in check. But then look at the last one in red. Self-control. What is self-control talking about? Talking about controlling your emotions, isn't it? And it's the fruit of the Spirit. I think that suggests that apart from the fruit of the Spirit, there's not a person here inside these walls or outside these walls that have the power, has the power and their own ability to have that kind of self-control. And there are some nice people here. There's some people who I've never seen their emotions aroused, especially with regards to anger. But about they have been. I bet at some point some of the ladies have got the frying pan in hand. Hmm? I don't know, but I would certainly think that they would have. Against such things there is no law. So when you have the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against these things. Do you ever think about that last one, self-control, having to do with controlling your emotions? Unfortunately, most believers don't even know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so they live, their, live by their emotions and seek experiences that are pleasurable, entertaining, and exciting because they don't know what the Word says. They don't know what spirituality is. They have no spiritual dynamics. They have no mechanics. And so, well, let's do what's entertaining and exciting. This is an, art, an article in the American Demographic Magazine focused on what Americans want and desire. Now, according to it, people of our day claim they are, and here's the quote, into spirituality not religion. And religion here means traditional worship, singing hymns, giving and teaching the Word. Behind this shift is the search for an experiential faith. Now, I don't know how an experiential faith jives with walking by faith and not by sight. But in any case, that's what they are searching for. 
So they're searching for an experiential faith, a religion of the heart, not the head. It's a religious expression that downplays doctrine and dogma and revels in direct experience of the divine. Direct experience from the divine. Whether it's called the Holy Spirit or cosmic consciousness or the true self, it is practical and personal. More about stress reduction than salvation. More therapeutic than theological. It's about feeling good, not being good. It's as much about the body as the soul. Some marketing gurus have begun calling it the experience industry. That's what a lot of churches have become, is experience industries. Churches across the nation have fallen for the trend described above and have allowed their focus to shift away from God and His Word and on to giving people what they want. If people don't want doctrine, then give them what they do want so they'll keep coming back. Most people believe the lie and the number attending... Excuse me. Most people believe the lie that the number... Attending Sunday morning worship determines a true effectiveness and success of a local church. And counting heads is the criteria God uses to judge by. Now, that's what a lot of people think. How many of you have, people have asked you, what church do you go to? Well, I go to Country Bible Church. Uh, they don't like that answer. It doesn't tell them a denomination. They can't fit you in a little cubby hole and feel comfortable with you. So they're not too happy about that. They never heard of it. What's going to be the second or third question? Yeah, how big is it? How many come? You know? And so if you tell them, well, we seat 150. Sunday we usually have about 100 here, sometimes a little more, a little less. Ah, <laughs> you don't count. You're not a mega church. You're a nobody. Have you all seen that in people's eyes before? What Jeremiah said about religious leaders in his day applies to our day as well. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 6, 13 through 14. For from the least of them even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest. Who is he talking about here? Religious leaders, right? From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. And I'm saying that's what most leaders of churches have done today. They are trying to heal the brokenness of the people superficially by placating and playing to their emotions and not teaching them the Word of God. Sermons of substance have been replaced with emotional appeals. Doctrine has been replaced with stories. And the preacher's uh, stage performance has become more important than what is taught. Most churches and pastors no longer trust the power of the Word of God 
to change people and make them hungry for doctrine. So they cater to the demands of the people. They have become so concerned with pleasing people, they have forgot about pleasing God. You see, that's what I think one of the, one of the main problems is. Is the leadership in the churches, and I'm pointing mainly at the pastors, they just no longer trust the Word of God. They don't think it's still powerful enough to penetrate the souls of people to change their lives and make them hungry for doctrine and they'll come back because they want more because of the Word. They don't trust that anymore. So now they have gone into marketing techniques. They have gone into competing with the world and entertainment and all the rest of it because they don't trust the Word anymore. And that goes double for the young people. What I'm saying is people don't think that the Word can can actually penetrate the souls of young people anymore. Oh, you've got to give them the, the, all of the games and all of the uh, shows. You, you, you just can't teach from the Word. You've got to have the graphics. You've got to have uh, retreats. You've got to have this. You've got to have that. You have to have all these things. Growing churches, this is, a, by the way, another quote from the little, uh, this little church went to market. Growing churches are creating an atmosphere, an environment of fun. So fun has replaced holiness as the church's goal. Having a good time has become the, be, become the criterion of an excellent growing church since fun and entertainment is what consumers want. And that's what the congregation has become, our consumers. They're not going to church to feed their soul and serve. They're going there to be entertained and to be served. There's a bumper sticker that reveals how far people have been dumbed down and how priority number one with them has become fun and entertainment. This is the bumper sticker. There is no right or wrong, only fun and boring. Now, that's about as far as a lot of Americans can think. Isn't that a shame that we're reduced to bumper stickers? There is no right or wrong, only fun or boring. I wonder how many people have gone away from this church thinking that we are a boring church. Huh? I think more of them have gone away mad than they were bored, I have to say. <laughs> Put out. This is also from this little church went to market. There's a very little there is very little understanding or desire for biblical truth and theology, even among Christians. The Bible is not being expounded in many pulpits today. Christian radio saturates the airways with talk shows and psychology experts. Christian magazines aimed at the layman are full of testimonies but devoid of solid spiritual truth. And far too many believers study the Word for themselves. As a result, we are a spiritually starved people who are no longer able to discern truth from error. Y'all need to read this book. These are just 
a few little highlights. Now, I don't get around and visit other churches, but I get reports from people who do. And from what I can tell, there aren't many out there that are expounding on the Word of God and even less that exegete from it. And for, let me tell you something, for the, the town of Brenham, what is our population here anyway? 15,000, something like that? 15,000 people? And we, we're not even in town. I mean, we're between two small, a small town and a smaller town, Chapel Hill. It's probably got, how many? Phil, you probably know how many people uh, Chapel Hill has. About 1,200. About 1,200 people. Okay, so we're right in between those. And for a, a Bible church out in the country between two small towns like that in an exceedingly legalistic area founded by Germans and most churches are Lutheran, to have a Bible church that has 100 to 150 people is unusual. It shows that God has blessed us and He's blessed us mightily. And He's given us this wonderful facility. So, most churchgoers today are not interested in knowing what their church's doctrinal statement is. Rather, they're interested more in what programs are offered. This is what they're thinking when they go to a church. This is, they're going to make judgments on what I'm giving you here. Are the people really friendly, kind, and sympathetic there? Does the church have a comfortable and an aesthetically pleasing sanctuary? Is there ample parking? What activities and recreational facilities are offered for the children. Does the church have baseball, basketball, or bowling teams? Does it have accredited, certified psychologists on staff? Again, the doctrinal statement, oh, well, you know, whatever, but let's, how big is the parking lot and what are the seats like? And how long does the pastor talk? This is from Choosing My Religion, American Demographics. This is what it, a quote from that uh, publication. Protestant megachurches have become the evangel evangelical answer to Home Depot. Marketing such services as worship, child care, a sports club, 12-step groups, and a guaranteed parking place. That's sad, isn't it? We're fortunate that we have the room. We've got a parking. We've got enough parking. You know, a good friend of mine, Bob Bollinger in Austin, they just um, built a new church. And I had gone to the, his uh, older church, the one they were in before, a couple of times. And they had a parking lot that had maybe 12 to 15 cars in their parking lot. The rest of them had to park on the street. And they had about 100 people. So we want to take all these things, all these blessings that God has given us, 
and not taken for granted. We live in the age of entertainment and emotional appeals. Commercials no longer try to persuade customers using factual information, but rather do all they can to appeal to the emotions. They are not selling product. They are selling the image. Did you know, see, there's one thing that I lived through this, and maybe some of you remember this as well. It all changed, I don't know, I think it was in the late 50s, early 60s, something like that. Up until that time, the normal way of advertising was you would say, our product has this, and it's good. This product over here doesn't have what we have. We have the best ingredients. Ours is the best looking. Ours will last longer. And all. That's the way advertising was done up until about, I, I'm saying the 60s, somewhere in there, until the Marlboro Man. He changed everything. Uh, I remember my dad smoked, I don't know, I think he kept Lucky Strike in business. And they had TV commercials back then, LSMFT. All y'all know what that means because this is an older crowd here. Lucky Strike means find tobacco. I mean, that's, that's what they had. And they would walk through the rows of tobacco leaves and they'd look at this, boy, this leaf is great. <laughs> and they got buried when the Marbear Man came out and he had his western gear on and his hat and the, and, and the sales went off the charts because they had learned sell the image not the substance yes Michael yeah well, you have all these guys I mean just give me a smoke I don't care if it's roll it up with banana leaves whatever just you know they don't care about that but when they see this guy, this good-looking guy, you know, he's got a mouthful of teeth and he's handsome and, and uh, he's strutting about and he's all masculine and uh, all these guys look at that, hey, man, and all, of course all the girls, oh, Mr. Marlboro, man. You know, they're like this. Uh, I'll take a pack of Marlboro. <laughs> the, the image. And that's, that's even to this very day, I don't think it's changed even now, it's all about image. You can see yourself. Uh, I don't know anything about, um, you know, magazines. When I read a magazine, if it's not the Berean Call or it's not the Israel My Glory or it's not uh, Grace in Focus, I mean, there's, those are the kind of magazines I read. Either that or it's some kind of Sears magazine. I'm looking up a part. That's about the extent to it. But I see these magazines that come to our house, and Carrie does like to go through these magazines and look at the uh, wardrobes that they have. And, you know, the, the, they spend a lot of money with the backdrop. If it's something summery, they'll be on the beach and there'll be someone there with a nice cool drink and the waves are going, the sun is out, and it's a young person, their skin is clear. And it's all you think, oh, I've got to have that dress. Well, what if you just took the dress and slapped it on there and said, here's dress number four? Huh? What kind of sales would you have? It's the same thing. They're buying into the image. We live in an age of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, selling the image. The same holds true with politicians, by the way. 
They're not interested in rational discourse or true debate. Their main interest is in projecting a certain image. They know that the people have become so deluded that it's not substance but the image that persuades them to buy a product or to vote them into office. It makes, it, for the most part, it makes very little what they say. You can tell that by what they say. <laughs> you can ask them, uh, is this shirt red and blue? Well, you know, it depends on your perspective. Now, we'll do a study on that, and we'll make an analysis. And we'll, you know, just on and on. But if they do it in a presidential fashion, oh, that's my man. I <laughs> know it's true. Um, <clears throat> and here's the thing. It's the same with most pastors, evangelists, and Christians when they give the gospel. They don't give people the substance of the gospel. They don't tell unbelievers that they are lost and if they don't accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, they will wind up in the lake of fire. That's the substance of the gospel. No, can't have that. No, unbelievers are told to invite Christ into their heart with the understanding that He will co-op with them to make their lives wonderful. If someone have a, a hanky or clinics or something, I can't see through these glasses anymore. <laughs> I do not want Garth. <laughs> Thank you anyway. <laughs> How long has it been in that pocket? <laughs> I need a, I need a little uh, uh, one of those little ones up here. Yeah, box clinic. Okay. I think those are the wrong glasses. <laughs> no one. Okay. <clears throat> and that's what they're doing. They say, "Invite Christ into your heart." And that's wouldn't that wouldn't that be your understanding? Invite Christ into your heart. He's going to straighten things up. He's going to give you the mm-mm that you don't have. And life is going to be wonderful. Oh, well, that's, I'll buy into that. See, you can buy into that and not have to acknowledge that you are a rotten slime ball sinner on his way to hell. Yeah, yeah oh, come on in. It's all right. We'll do great things together. Rather than giving unbelievers the facts, relying on the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gospel has been contorted into emotional pleas and promises of a happier and richer life. The only problem, that's not the gospel. God is perceived as a genie in a bottle who generously bestows things to the unbeliever who is unable to obtain, that they're unable to obtain, such as wealth, health, companionship, or security. These are the type of things that people want, and they're kind of, you've heard of the health and wealth gospel. Unbelievers, <clears throat> excuse me, unbelievers who accept a false gospel will, excuse me, who accept a false gospel will sooner or later find out that God is not a genie who gives them their desires. 
They will never find satisfaction, but will remain spiritually dead, hollow on the inside and confused. But most importantly, time will click away until it runs out for them, leaving them with no hope for happiness, but rather an endless separation from God in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the alternative. That's what's not being told to unbelievers today. So many people are, are, I guess I should say, so many pastors are out there entertaining the goats instead of feeding the sheep. And they're feeding the sheep full of emotional goat food. And they're not growing. And you can see how this has to do with the gospel. That's why I've included it here. When you give the gospel, if someone gets emotional, that's fine. But what the only important thing, this is the heart of the gospel, is are they putting their faith alone in Christ alone? And they need to be told, when they do that, they have eternal life. And it cannot be lost. It's because of God's grace and what Christ did on the cross. And if you doubt that later on, it doesn't change a thing. All it does is make you uneasy. See, we need to tell them with dogmatism. Tell them like you mean it, and you ought to mean it. Otherwise, they're going to be confused. I know. I was one of them who walked an aisle, and I didn't have No one actually came up to me and got my, my face in their hands and listened to me. Did you believe in Jesus Christ? Did you trust Him for your salvation and His work on the cross? Yes, I did. Then why are you doubting your salvation? I don't feel saved. I used to say that. Some, and I, even as an adult, early on, I didn't think I was saved because I didn't feel saved because I was, I was in an environment of emotionalism so long that I thought, well, this, this must be what it is. And a lot of times they would give the altar call and, and I'd get all emotional even when I didn't walk down the aisle. It was emotional. I thought, man, God was sure He was here today. And then I got away from church I went on my way in other places and I lost that, that, that emotion. And I thought, it must not have taken. Even though I made sure, I walked, I don't know how many times, I, wanted, I do not want to go to hell. And I'll walk this aisle till the carpet is gone if necessary to make sure. Now, I don't even remember who was the pastor. But I think that he could have done maybe a little bit better job in presenting the gospel that you don't, it's not anything about emotions or feelings. It's about trust. And you can know if you trusted God or not. And that's how we know we're saved, because God's word is true and we can believe it. 
no matter how you feel. And since then, I've, I've run into several people who were saved just reading the Bible. Did you have any big emotional experience? No, it made sense to me and I believed it. How could you do that? I struggled for years to get to that point. And you just said you read it and you believed it and now you don't even doubt that you're going to heaven? Well, sure, that's what it says. What happened to me? Well, I was an emotional cripple because of the things that I went to, went through as a child. Listen, when I was, I think, 12 years old, you know, they went to Sunday school and then they'd have a church. Then we'd come back for a training union. Then we'd have church. I mean, it just... Anyway, I was sitting on the right-hand side kind of towards the front and my Sunday school teacher was sitting behind me. And I was sitting there, I was like... <clears throat> You know, get up, it's time to go. Poking me in the back. I said, well, I guess I better get up and go or get poked in the back. I didn't want to get up in front of all those people. So I, I walked down front, you know, and went through the agony, humiliation as far as I was concerned. I wouldn't even look up at the people looking like this And to my dismay, we changed church, churches. And to be recognized there, you had to walk down front again. Anyway, that and a lot of other things that people go through can distort their thinking. And what I'm trying to do in this getting the gospel right is bring out some of these issues that aren't addressed too many times. And this a adamant craving for a spiritual experience has thrown many a believer off track. If the, if the emotions come, they come. If they don't, we keep pressing on to the prize. There's going to be enough emotions when we see Jesus. There's going to be enough emotions when we either we or some of our friends get rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ for all eternity. The tears will be flowing. They'll be full of joy. These things are on our agenda. But in the meantime, we live in the devil's world. It's full of lies. And we can't let our feelings distract us, whether we have them or whether we don't have them. And that's all I'm going to say about that tonight. And we'll press on next time. Let's close. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that everything depends upon you. We're thankful that when we go to you in prayer and that we acknowledge our sin to you, that you don't require us to cry and get all emotional. We simply state it. What you're looking for is humility. The emotions may be there and they may not, but you know our soul. You know if the humility is there. And what a God that will every time forgive us of our sins simply by having us acknowledge it and take responsibility for it. And because of that, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're again right with you. What grace. We pray that you will help us to continue to focus on your word. It always is the word. And we're so thankful for your word and the power that is in it. And pray that it will continue to be our guide. For we pray it in Christ's name.
ね。